Hello, everybody, and welcome to another fantastic episode of The Pylon, a podcast about the NFL from Impact 89 FM Sports in East Lansing, Michigan. I'm Ian Drummond. Alongside me, as always, Michael Marcock, Jacob Lothamer, and Darren Baydoon. How are you guys doing this week? Good. Good. Exciting week. Super Bowl week, baby. It is indeed Super Bowl week. We'll be getting to that in just a little bit. But first, it's been a little bit since we recorded an episode, and we didn't really get to talk about championship week. Bucks over the Packers, Chiefs over the Bills, setting up the Super Bowl. A lot of people were talking after the Bucks uh, Packers game about a particular fourth down decision late in the Packers game from Packers coach Matt LaFleur having fourth and goal from the eight and choosing to kick a field goal despite being down by a little bit more than a field goal. Thus, perhaps being blamed for the Packers falling short in the game. Um, also, Chiefs handled the Bills pretty convincingly. Perhaps a less controversial game there, although also marred with interesting field goal decisions from Bills head coach Sean McDermott. Uh, how are we feeling about the sort of conservativeness of some of these calls on championship week games? Well, let's start with um, the with the Chiefs and Buffalo game. I think the one thing is, is that when you're going up against the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, you, you can't afford to settle for field goals. Even if your defense is capable of being great like Buffalo's is, it's just you have to be, you have to be willing to take your chances because – you know, against the Chiefs, I mean, you you need to be ready on that day to go touchdown, touchdown for touchdown. And with the way that Buffalo's offense had played all season, with the way Josh Allen had a top five, you know, MVP type season, Stephon Diggs, all the guys they had, I'm kind of surprised that day that Sean, that McDermott wasn't, you know, didn't put more faith into his his quarterback's ability to be able to make those plays because he had been making those plays pretty much all year. So I thought that was surprising. And um. With the Green Bay game, I think that another another call that I think another decision that I think could be looked at was Aaron Rodgers' decision. I think on the play before they kicked the field goal, where he forced it to Devonte Adams, where it looked like he could have possibly ran for a touchdown or at the very least a first down and, and a conversion. So you know, I know there could be questions about his decision to force a throw there, and then you know, I mean, if they are able to get the ball back. From Tampa, it's obviously, you know, it looks like, you know, it's a decision that could pay off for the floor, but, you know, the Packers defense just, they just weren't able to make that stop. So, you know, he tried, he put trust in that unit and you know, at the end of the day, they just didn't come through for him. So, you know, I, I don't, I can understand why he went for the field goal. Although with the, with the MVP of the league, I can also see why I could also support why, you know, giving him that fourth down chance and to see if he can make it. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with I agree with what you said about especially about Sean McDermott and Buffalo. There was a they had the final drive right before the half, and I believe they were down twenty-one to they were down twenty-one to nine. And he they go down the field on a really good drive. And they had just gotten the reversal for Josh Allen that they called him originally stepping out of bounds, and then he didn't step out of bounds. 
and they got to fourth down from like the six yard line and he kicked the field goal and make it 21 to 12. And I, I was like, I don't know what you're thinking. Um, Cause I mean, here's the thing. I mean, a field goal there didn't even get you within eight points. It didn't even get you within a score. Like if that would, if that was like a 21 to 10, you're kicking a field goal to get within a one score. I, I completely understand doing that there, but it was still a two score game and you were on the six yard line. Like you, you may never get down there again. And I thought, I thought he was far more conservative than Matt LaFleur ever was. And I think he kind of took a little bit of the, a little bit of the shine off of Matt LaFleur's decision with his, with his decision-making in that game. As for LaFleur and the Packers, honestly, when it happened, I wasn't that upset about what he did. Um, You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of controversy about, you know, what's what's more likely to happen give the ball back to Tom Brady and try to get it back with basically four clock stoppages or go for a fourth and goal from the 10 um which let's let's remind everybody the Packers had first and goal from the 10 they had three attempts prior to that fourth down they didn't gain a single yard so the odds that they were going to get it were probably not very high the one thing that I thought about Rodgers possibly scrambling was that he could have probably scrambled to maybe the five or four, then given them a fourth and goal from like the four, like that, then that's a no brainer, but a fourth and goal from the 10. I mean, when you had first, second and third and goal all from the 10 and you failed to pick up a yard, I don't blame Matt LaFleur for not trusting his offense to get it because you know, they had, it's really hard to score from the 10 yard line. It's, there's not a lot of plays for that for only about 20 yards of field space. It just doesn't, it just doesn't always work because the defense can just pack everything. So, you know, hindsight's always 2020. We'll never know what would have happened if they would have gotten the ball back, but I, I defend his decision and I don't think it was, I don't think it was outright as outrageous as everyone thinks. Yeah. That's definitely not where the Packers lost the game. The Packers lost the game when obviously Tom Brady's not prime Tom Brady's going to air it out a little bit more. There's that one interception that, Everyone just looked at the one was tipped and the other one was, what are you even thinking? Like, what are you doing? And on those drives, they were two and out both times. And that's where they lost the game is when they could finally capitalize on those drives and they didn't. I'm not mad about the LaFleur thing. I 100% agree with Michael. The one thing Rodgers did say that he would have called a different play on third down if he would have known that they were going to kick a field goal on fourth down and maybe done a different play. But the fact that they had it at the 10 yard line and they were, their plays were so predictable. The fact that they didn't try anything with any kind of RPO and different stuff like that to make them even think they're running the ball. I know there was not that much time left, but you ended up kicking the field goal anyway. So might as well do something about it. So I don't know. Uh, and then the rumors that Rogers was going to leave the Packers, like, okay, like that was ever going to happen. But uh yeah, he seems to be taking it well in uh, the, the Bud Light in the back of the truck. So that was pretty funny. But uh, we'll leave that there. I'm not too mad about the LaFleur decision. I'm more – the thing that made less sense to me was McDermott, like the field goal at the end of the half. That was a tough one. But those field goals didn't end up mattering very much. They The Chiefs really put it on them in the second half. And I, I just think the Chiefs defense was suspect all year. And then when they need to turn it on, they turn it on. So – I feel like we'll see the same thing in the Super Bowl in a couple of days. So I'm, uh, I really think the Chiefs defense just has dudes on their team, and like they find a way to make their star players look great. Like Teron Matthew and Chris Jones always look like amazing, and then the rest of the guys just fill in and play their role. So 
we'll see how that goes. I think that after the game, McDermott said he was kicking all those field goals for for motivation or something, which I, I don't think that's something that usually wins you a football game, to be honest. So it definitely is a very baffling decision. You know, I especially right before the half, I don't really I don't really get what he was going for unless he just had it in his mind, like, well, I was always going to lose this game. I'm playing with house money. Everyone in Buffalo loves me right now. Which I guess if anyone has a claim to that, it's him. Honestly, I am a little mad about the LaFleur thing. Because, like, I understand it's hard to get it from, like, the 8 or the 10-yard line. It's, it's difficult, but... If there's anyone I've seen pull some absolute BS out of his pocket, you know, destroy some team on a low probability play, it's always been Rodgers. I've been watching that man do that for, what, 10 years now? You know, 10 years he's been doing that. He's playing like the MVP all year. You know, I... I don't think it's completely insane to want to put the game on that man's back. And, you know, if, if you end up short like you did that time, then that's definitely something where you have to look back and you have to wonder, like, well, what if we gave it to him? What if we did that? That's just what I think anyway. But now we got to move on to the first huge blockbuster trade of the offseason, especially for us Lions fans. After 11 years in Detroit, Matt Stafford is on the move to the L.A. Rams. In return, the Lions are getting first-round picks in 2022 and 2023, as well as current Rams starter Jared Goff. Um, now, me personally, obviously, I'll be giving my opinion on this in a little bit, but who won this trade and who lost this trade for you guys? Is it is it too cliche to say that uh, this is a win-win for both teams? It's a very cliche thing to say. Um, the Rams have been so good at drafting outside of the first round, like we talked about earlier this year when we were talking about the Brad Holmes hiring, um, they've been so good at drafting outside of the first round that I don't even think their first round picks mean that much. They're finding talent all over the field and Stafford's a clear upgrade over Jared Goff. And I, and Stafford has a really good relationship with Sean McVay. So I, I, I think that's a really good trade for the Rams. They, they've traded all their first round picks anyway. They, they're not going to have one for a while. Uh, they've been trading them, trading them, trading them. But I think the last first round pick they took was Jared Goff with the number one pick. So I think it's a win-win. I really like the trade for Detroit. You have a lot of first rounders. You have a lot of assets, whether or not you want to use all the picks, which I think they should just, you know, it, it's not like you're going to trade these picks for like a big player to win now because you're so far away from winning now. It's finally them embracing a tank. 
I don't know if I want to see them take the quarterback in the first round this year. I don't think Goff is awful. I think Goff, I think Goff can do stuff. I think he's a decent quarterback. He showed that he has some heart in the playoffs this year with playing with a hurt hand. So I really like to trade for both teams. And I think Detroit should, you know, if you want to take a backup to sit in the wings, I'm okay with that. But I just don't want them taking a quarterback with the first round pick unless somehow Justin Fields falls to seven because I'd prefer Justin Fields over all the other quarterbacks in the draft, except for Trevor Lawrence. So win-win for both teams, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with that. Cause you know, the, the, obviously all with all after, after it had been announced that they were going to mutually part ways, the main talk about Stafford was that it was expected that the Lions would receive at least like one first round pick and maybe like, you know, some other, you know, a late, you know, maybe a mid round pick, something like that. Something comparable to like when, I don't know, Carson Palmer got traded back in like in the early 2010s. But I mean, when I saw that they got two first rounders, a third, and then Jerry Goff and the Rams, I, I mean, I was shocked because I just did, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't expect them to get quite that haul. But I mean, for the Rams, it, yeah, I mean, you have, you, after Jared Goff, he hasn't been the same player ever since they lost the Super Bowl versus the Patriots he hasn't made a Pro Bowl since then he just ha- and he just hasn't looked he hasn't maybe been terrible but he certainly hasn't looked like the kind of quarterback that can lead you back to a Super Bowl so you understand where they were going for an upgrade and listen I mean you have in Matthew Safford a guy who has been able to put up numbers and be able to have at least a, a little bit of success with you know a team like the Lions that you know, usually is always noted for dysfunction. And now he's going to a team where he's going to be coached by maybe the best coach he's ever had in Sean McVay in his career. You have a great running game that averaged over 120 yards per, per game last year. You've got receivers like Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. And if you bring back Andre Whitworth you have, or Andrew Whitworth, I should say, you have the makings of at least a decent offensive line. And then you have a defense that finished number one in points allowed last season. So this is top to bottom, probably the best, all-around team he's ever been on so you know I don't think it's out of the question that we could see in you know uh, an entirely new version of Matthew Stafford next year um and I, and I hope to because you know I want that because after everything he's gone through Detroit you know as a Lions fan I I want to see him have success you know I'd like to see him flip the script on his career in terms of with all the you know with all the disappointment he's suffered in Detroit um, a lot of it, which, you know, is, is, was out of his hands in terms of management decisions and everything like that and coaching. But um, I hope he has success. And for the Lions, I don't think they could have done much better. There have been reports saying that, like, Carolina offered the number eight pick. I know there was a report came out just recently that said Denver offered the number 10 pick and Drew Locke. But in terms of looking long term, I mean, you've got two first round. You've got five now five first round picks in the next three years. You have a third round pick this year, which is going to, I mean, Kenny Galladay was a third round pick. So you can get, you know, that can be still be very valuable. And, you know, with Jared Goff, you know, it gives you options. You don't have to take, you could take a quarterback still in this draft. You don't necessarily have to, you can see what you have in him. And then who knows, maybe he, maybe this is what he needs to get his career on track. And maybe he has a second life in Detroit. I mean, we, you know, you never know what could happen. So I think that both sides play this well with the Rams they went all in and they're saying that, listen, we think Matthew Stafford is the guy that's going to win us the Super Bowl. And for the Lions, you know, they're, they're embracing, uh, even though Brad Holmes, the new GM called it a retool, it probably really is more like a rebuild. And now they have the, the ammunition. Now they have the flexibility and the picks 
to really be able to make over this team going forward in the next several years. Yeah, I definitely think I agree with Darren. I think that this side is, this trade is definitely like the tale of two sides, the tale of two totally different ideas. The Rams, you know, I, I heard this and I heard this on, on TV earlier this week, and I actually really agreed with it. The Rams are looking at this trade from this perspective. Currently they play in Los Angeles, which right currently right now is like the city of champions. They're playing with the Lakers in the same city as the Lakers. They're playing in the same city as the Dodgers and they're playing in the same city as the Clippers. All three teams who have shown that they will go for it no matter what to win championships. Now, football isn't that big in LA, but the Rams are going to try to change that by going all in. And the fact is the Rams, the Rams did this to get to the first Super Bowl with Jared Goff. That's why, you know, they, they traded for Marcus Peters. They traded Yeah, I agree with Darren that it's kind of it's like a two it's like a two-sided trade. Like there's there's the Rams side who are going all in and there's the Lions side that are focusing this trade more on their rebuild. I think specifically for the Rams side, they're going to try to compete in LA with all the other teams like the Lakers, the Dodgers, the Clippers. Three teams that have proven that they will go all in to do whatever it takes to win a championship. And I think with football not being as much of a popular sport in LA, the Rams are trying to change that by winning a Super Bowl. And they showed that back in whatever it was, 2018, when they went to the Super Bowl against the Patriots. They basically bought a roster. They traded for players like Marcus Peters. They they signed a Dominican Sue. They traded for Brandon Cooks. They put all the pieces in place to go win a title and they came up short. Um, and I think now Sean McVay's realizing the issue was never the roster that he and the front office had constructed. It was his quarterback. And so he looked to a family friend, Matthew Stafford, and he said, he told his front office, I want you to do whatever it takes to get this guy to LA. And simply he's done just that. He's gotten Matt Stafford to LA. And because that, because he's there now, they're going to be in the playoffs for at least the next two seasons that the Lions have their first round pick. So honestly, their first round picks are meaningless. They might as well be second round picks. As for Detroit, I think this is also a very good trade though. We've seen the teams that have come before them who have been really, really bad have set the blueprint for how to rebuild a team like this. You've seen teams like the Browns. You've seen teams like the Dolphins. You've seen like the, the Bengals to an extent, the Cardinals. It's, it's stripping things down to the studs and it's just collecting draft picks. And, but you have to hit on the picks. And if, if you don't hit on the picks, you're just going to be right back where you are. In fact, you're going to set your franchise back. But I think, they're, it's the right move right now. You just collect assets. Um, you know what? Jared Goff's going to keep keep the Lions afloat, and that's that's perfectly fine right now. The Lions aren't going to be competing for a Super Bowl anytime, probably within his contract range. So I think right now this is about building the rest of the team with a steady presence at quarterback that can win you games, possibly get you to a playoff game, and even win a playoff game, and then from there, then it's then you can evaluate golf if he can get you to that next level. And if not, then you draft a new guy and you move on in your rebuild. You know, it certainly is a tale of two sides. I will say that I definitely think that the Lions are the clearest winner of this trade just by accumulating so much draft capital. 
you know, as Darren said, with five first round picks in the next three years and with a capable starting quarterback, they're kind of freed from the obligation of having to take a quarterback this year, which I think is good because seven is a spot where there's probably going to be some elite non-quarterback talents available. I mean, people are talking about Devonta Smith. I don't know if that's really the play, but he could be there. And there's a good shot that if it's seven, you know, you're not going to necessarily have a quarterback that you're in love with falling to you. You're going to get someone who maybe has some bigger question marks, but a lot of talent and having Jared Goff kind of removes you from needing to make a decision about that. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Um, although I don't think that Jared Goff is some kind of amazing quarterback. I think if there's a huge loser from this trade, it's probably him. I'm not personally very high on him. I mean, there aren't a lot of, it's not for nothing that there's a bunch of Rams fans who will go around calling him Jared goof. Cause he's definitely prone to his share of kind of boneheaded mistakes and he's going to be moving from a system where there was, you know, renowned and had, you know, water boys getting hired from it because everyone wanted the secret sauce to be the next offensive coordinator of the future into, you know, whatever Anthony Lynn is going to do here, which I'm not saying it'll be terrible. I'm not saying it'll be good, but it probably is at least a little bit of a step down for him. And I don't think he's going to have the kind of talent and support around him that he had in LA. I'm also not quite as high for the Rams as I think the rest of you are. Obviously I'm very high on Stafford personally. You know, I've watched him for 11 years. I've been a huge fan. Um, and I don't really understand where this narrative has come from that Stafford for Goff is like a one-to-one -one swap and it's not an upgrade at all. It's a lateral move. But, you know, the Rams are taking, they're taking a risk. He's getting, he's getting older. It's hard to predict the, exactly when a quarterback is going to go kind of flat in his thirties. Um, they gave up quite a bit for him, even though they obviously don't value the first round picks and they've hit on second and third rounders in the past. And he is a guy who's had some seasons recently get derailed because of finger injuries, back injuries, and he's tough as nails and he'll try to play through whatever he can play through. But you don't want to be in a position where, you know, Stafford gets shut down like eight games in the season and suddenly you're back relying on like John Wolford and your amazing defense to try and carry you to something. Cause that's not going to take you as far as you want to go from making this trade. So I would say huge winner, of the lions possible winner, of the Rams, a uh, big loser, Jared Goff. That's my take. 
one thing that people have said about this trade is that might price Deshaun Watson out of the quarterback market, which speaking of Deshaun Watson and the Texans, they've finally got their new coach. It's David Coley, wide receivers coach, assistant head coach, and passing game coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. Obviously, this is the last latest by quite a bit head coaching hire. And with all the mess surrounding the Texans, it can be hard to find the silver lining for them in all of this. You know, do any of you have a, you know, any sort of positives for this hire for Houston? Well, you know, the last couple of years when the Ravens been good, they've been really known for their great passing game. So this was a great hire. I just, I mean, I think a lot of things I heard is that this coach will be a fill-in, basically. It's not going to last long. This team is going to be bad. I can understand why Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt both want out. I don't think Stafford made Deshaun Watson, like, basically unavailable. I don't think that's true. He does have that no-trade clause. So he basically decides what team he wants to go to. He has a very short list of basically, I think at this point, Miami and the Jets. So it's a very short list. Uh, J.J. Watt, he just, the man wants to compete. I feel like it's going to be a lot easier to trade J.J. Watt, who I, when I did watch the Texans a few times this year, um, was mainly a third down guy at this point, just pass rush. He's not in there doing as much. He had his big moments every once in a while. But um, I feel bad for Texans fans. I think this is a blow it up. Just obviously you don't want to trade Deshaun Watson for nothing. And I feel bad for their new head coach having this be his first hire, which is probably going to end up being a fire unless he miraculously becomes a great coach. But I would get what you can for your elite players, basically what the Lions are doing. And this is not a retool for the Texans. This is a rebuild after – years of them being mismanaged by Bill O'Brien. It's never worked out unless you're Belichick letting your GM and your coach be the same person. They, it usually doesn't work. So I feel bad for Texans fans, mostly. Well, I mean, you could even argue for Belichick. It hasn't worked either. I mean, the Patriots don't particularly draft well. But what I – I here, here's what I'll say about it. I, I, I don't – I don't judge head coaching hires before we've seen him coach a game. I think that's, I mean, you're just waiting to get burned. I mean, we all remember how, what the response was to the Browns hiring Kevin Stefanski last year, and the dude is probably going to win coach of the year. So, I mean, it. I, I don't want to judge any hire before, you know, we see them coach a few games and get, get their feet under them. From what I've heard about Coley, he's a great leader of men, which is probably, in my opinion, the most important attribute of an NFL head coach. Um yeah, I mean, we can we can pick on him for the fact that, you know, the Ravens the last two years have had, like, the worst passing offense in the league. Um, I don't think that's particularly his fault. I just think – I think we're – I think the media and the Ravens are a little bit biased about how well Lamar Jackson can actually throw the ball downfield, especially outside the numbers. And I think, you know, I think that's bringing the numbers down a little bit. But, you know, it, he's going to – from what I've heard, he's going to be able to rally the team – he, they understand it's going to be a rough year and they basically needed a coach to help them get through it. Um, 
you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen to Deshaun Watson. I, I don't honestly know if they're going to trade him. They might call his bluff, see if he sits out. Um, you know, I don't know. Um, I saw something yesterday that Denver is on the short list. Uh, he's expressed interest in going to Denver and playing with all the weapons up there. Um, the Jets is obviously there. The Dolphins are still there, but the Dolphins are the Dolphins are hesitant to give up on Tua, and I think that's I think that's fair. Um, I I think that would be a very I don't I don't think that'd be a very smart move for Miami. But you know, if if they if they're really in a win now mode, I think you would do it. Um, if you're the Texans, I don't know why you would necessarily pick up Tua based on what you've seen. But that's neither here nor there. Um, and I mean, as for JJ Watt, kind of the same kind of Matthew Stafford situation. You just kind of want to. I mean, he just wants to win. He wants to go to a contender. I would love to see JJ Watt in Cleveland. Words can't even describe how much I'd, I'd love to have JJ Watt come to Cleveland. Um, I think he'd make a really good piece. Um, Cleveland's ready to win now. Um, and him on the other side of Miles Garrett is just going to be, that would be absolutely incredible. Um, but I think he, he, he deserves a winner. Texans fans deserve a winner. And I'm telling you right now, next year ain't going to be it. Next year is going to be like the expansion team Texans in 2005. Like it's going to be, it's going to be rough sledding. Um, but you know what, if you, if you can find alignment up in your front office, I think, I think, I think it's possible, but you know, they got They got to commit to the rebuild. They got to commit to getting out of this. They probably have to trade Deshaun Watson just to get draft capital because they don't have a first round pick this year. They didn't have a first round pick last year. I don't know if they have one next year. They need picks. They need to get young talent into the building and just infuse the organization with fresh young players. And right now they don't have the resources to do so. And trading Deshaun Watson can get you that. Yeah, no, it's it's just the, the Texans are right now probably the most dysfunctional team in the league from top down with from the owner at Cal McNair and all you know just everything with you know their Jack Easterby their executive who started out as the Patriots team chaplain or whatever the heck it was and you know there's just there's so much smoke going on there and no I don't blame Deshaun Watson for wanting out after everything he's experienced I don't blame JJ Watt after. It's got, I feel bad for him, especially just because that guy was so many. I feel like, especially with how Aaron Donald's played, so many people forget that when JJ Watt was at his best, he might have been at one point the best player in the league. I mean, he was that good. He was that good when he was at his, in his prime. So, no, I don't blame him. I think that I don't think that the Stafford trade really impacts Watson. I think that his, you know, I think the Texans' offer was like the, the Texans were asking at minimum for what was it two first round picks two second round picks two young impactful defensive players or something that amount like there if this is if, if Deshaun Watson were to get trapped I mean that's something that we haven't seen a top five quarterback at 25 years old maybe not even quite in his prime yet still and he's already at the top five level no one like that ever, no, no player like that is ever ever gets trade because usually when teams get a top five quarterback why would you ever want to move them but this is this is the hole that you know this is the hole that the Texans have dug for themselves and now they have to line it and line in it will will likely have to mean Deshaun Watson gets traded because it seems like that he has no interest in playing for the new regime and you know it sucks for David Culley because obviously you don't want a new head coach to have you know you kind of it kind of you kind of cut the legs out under a new head coach with a situation like this at with losing you know your toe with losing such a great player but 
you know, the Texans, I mean, you know, there, there's the expression, you got, you know, trying to make chicken salad out of a chicken, uh, you know what. So it, it, it's just, you know, they, they have to just get the best deal, whether it's with the Jets, whether it's Miami, whichever team that Deshaun would rather go to. Um, I feel like the Jets, just because they have been searching for some quarterback for on their team for so long. And obviously it's a huge media market. Uh, you know, they can offer up the number two pick. They can offer up a number, you know, they can offer up like Quinn and Williams among, you know, maybe another young defensive prospect. So, you know, it, it, it's going to play out. That's probably going to be something, you know, the Texans, you know, they're going to wait for what they view as the best offer. But I, I, I'll i be surprised um, if, if even if training camp, by the time training camp rolls around, if Deshaun Watson is still in a, is still on the Houston Texans roster. I'm not sure if I would necessarily go that far. I think he's more likely to sit out than be traded personally, just because what the Texans are asking for based on reports is something that is difficult to provide because it's, it's hard for a team to say we're one Deshaun Watson away from a Super Bowl, and also say we can lose two defensive starters and still be only one Deshaun Watson away from a Super Bowl. But I have to feel for pretty much everyone at the coaching level down here. I feel for Deshaun and JJ, they want to get out. They, they really need to get out because these Texans are not making noise anytime soon with the sheer amount of, just as you guys said, dysfunction at the ownership level with this weird, this Jack Easterby guy seemingly having the ear of the owner, Cal McNair. The new GM has had some interesting moves regarding the future of his players. It's hard to see where it gets better. I assume it's going to have to come from some kind of complete restructuring of that organization. I'm not sure if there's any sort of willingness to do that right now. So it just feels like this team has no future and there isn't a head coaching hire in the world that could change that probably. So that's it. The Texans awful right now probably awful for the foreseeable future. Really hate to see it. Hope that their good players can get out, get somewhere better. Hope that their players who are not as great can also get out and get somewhere better because it's just a death sentence playing for them right now. But we shouldn't spend too much time wallowing in misery. We got to talk about the best of the best now. The Super Bowl, Bucks, Chiefs, a lot of stuff to break down here from the minor story, the minor side stories of this this Chiefs barber situation, all the way up to two great quarterbacks going toe to toe with each other. Might as well start there, save some barber stuff for last. But, you know, Michael wrote the agenda this week. Shout out to Michael. And in here, he's got up first, Goat Talk. 
has Tom Brady solidified immortal status by leading the Bucks to the Super Bowl? It's an impressive feat. I don't know. You can never solidify goat talk. I'm one of the people who will never be never say that there's goats for eras. There'll never be goats overall. Someone in 20 years will tell me LeBron James isn't the best basketball player of all time, and I'll never believe it. But there are people who are years older than me telling me Michael Jordan's the best basketball player of all time. I never saw Michael Jordan play. I'm a big believer that LeBron's the best player he's ever played. You could wait five years. People will say it's Giannis. It, it, that's not true, obviously. But Tom Brady is the goat of his generation, of the generation of from, 20, from 2000 to 2020, the greatest quarterback, the GOAT, Tom Brady. That's been solidified. Moving forward, this is now Patrick Mahomes' time to shine. It's really impressive what Tom Brady has done in his 20 years, and I don't think he needed this to be solidified as the GOAT. Currently, it's, it's tough to say. Like I said, it's the eras. But Tom Brady has had this era locked up. You mentioned names like Peyton Manning. That's the only other quarterback that I think even competes in that time frame. But Tom Brady has this locked up. It's so impressive what he's been able to do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, well, the one thing you can definitely say is that it wasn't just – he wasn't a product of the Patriots system under Bill Belichick. If anything, with the way that the Patriots looked this season – it seems like that Brady's play may have had more to do with that success than maybe Belichick did. But obviously that that's a question that, you know, is that you can go back and forth on, all, you know, for, 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 you know, forever. But I mean, it's, it's certainly impressive. He's, I mean, right now, would I say he's the best quarterback to have ever, is he currently the best quarterback of all time? I mean, with six rings, it's hard to say no to that. Obviously I think Jacob has a fair point in saying that there are definitely goats for errors because you know, people can say that, oh, well, Joe Montana was a perfect four for four, immaculate in Super Bowls. And so, yeah, and obviously Brady, you know, he's had, you know, he's had the defeats, obviously the two losses to the Giants and then to the Eagles too. So he has been perfect, but six rings, a chance to add a seventh and with a different team. It, it, it's a resume that is going, to, it's a resume that's going to be incredibly difficult to match. Although the guy that he's facing, Patrick Mahomes, if, if, if anybody could do it, it looks like it may be him just based on what we've seen from him in his first three years as a starter. So I think that he's Brady is going to be, regardless of what quarterbacks come into the league in the net, you know, in, in years from now, he's going to be regarded as being at least one of the greatest of all time. And, you know, at least for me, for the sake of argument, in terms of his resume, in terms of what he's still being able to do at 44 years of age, I mean, you know, we haven't seen anybody like that that's dominated for as long as, as, as he has. So I'll, I'll, I'll say he's the GOAT right now, but, you know, at the very least, he's got, he's got, he's got to be the greatest of all time regardless. I, I think it depends on what you want to base your, you know, your GOAT, the GOAT off of. I mean, I think in terms of, you know, resume and championships and rings, I mean, obviously Tom Brady's number one, but in terms of, you know, physical ability and overall football talent, um, Brady, I probably wouldn't even argue he was top five. Um, football brain, he's definitely up there, but like in pure raw physical, you know, talent and ability, I, Tom Brady's not even top five. So, but what I would say was, I mean, it, it depends. We always want to say we want to base the goat off resume. How many times have you been to the big game? How many times have you won it? 
this is his 10th Super Bowl. He's been there 10 times in the last 20 years, which, I mean, that's insane. And LeBron's doing the same thing in the NBA. He's been to the finals 10 times. Um, and, you know, people, you know, yeah, the Mon- Montana, it, it's so interesting sometimes how things play out because like Montana was like Michael Jordan back then. I mean, Montana went to five Super Bowls and he won all five of them, just like Jordan went six for six. And now we're in the era of, um, LeBron and Brady who have been to 10 championships a piece and they they've taken their defeats you know LeBron's four and six and Brady's what Brady's six and three right now um, preparing for you know preparing for his 10th so I think you know in terms of that you know of course he's going to be up there um, but I think you have to talk about when you talk about the greatest of all time I think it's it's a resume plus a pure natural talent and ability thing and Tom Brady to me isn't up there with like the Aaron Rodgers of the world and now the Patrick Holmes of the world or the even the Joe Montana Roger Staubach Dan Marino's of the world like he's not as physically gifted as those players were um he's got a great football mind he knows every he knows he knows exactly where the ball is going to go before a play is even snapped and not a lot of quarterbacks can do that um and he's a great he's great in command he's a great leader but I just think I think we have to make it the conversation needs to be more well-rounded than just how many rings you got. I have to say I've never personally enjoyed greatest of all time debates that much. I don't know. Maybe it's my maybe it's my perpetual love for weird stories and bad teams. But you know, I've never I've never loved like those sorts of debates or bandwagoning or any of those sorts of things. I do think that this season probably has led to the most interesting iteration of the, was it Brady or was it Belichick debates after we saw, you know, a a very middling season from the Patriots and Brady going back to the Super Bowl. Although I will say that obviously the Patriots are not in the most ideal situation with, you know, defensive starters sitting out the season, having COVID run rampant through the team early in the season, and not having any pass catchers. You know, it was not great for them. While Brady, although obviously he was not with Belichick again, he was with a pretty good coach himself and Bruce Arians and has an excellent defense and an excellent supporting cast around him down there. I do think that if you are going to talk about the greatest of all time, I would agree with Jacob that it's a very generational thing, especially given how much the game changes, how much how much the rules change to benefit different players, different sides of the ball. I mean, there's, you know, there's like 30 plus years of NFL players who didn't get to play in a Super Bowl because the Super Bowl wasn't a concept. It wasn't a literal thing back then. And that's just something that it's not as comparable. It's just a whole different league. Those are just things that you can't compare entirely. It gets very messy, very, very quick. And so I'm not going to discuss that too much. Um, as far as this matchup, though, there are a lot of interesting a lot of interesting matchups based on the positions. Obviously, you have 
two amazing quarterbacks going at it, Mahomes and Brady, have the Chiefs defense and the Bucks defense, especially a especially the Bucks D line and Vita Vea versus the Chiefs O line that's down a couple tackles right now. Um, what do you guys think is the most interesting positional matchup in this game? I think you hit on it real quick right there is the uh, offensive line versus defensive line. That's going to be a really interesting one, especially Chiefs O line versus Bucks D line. Like we said, Vita Vey has been out for a long time, and a lot of people didn't think he was going to play that many snaps a couple weeks ago in that Packers game, and then he was all over the place. He made the Packers run offense. Just his his impact on the run offense is insane. Especially they just can't – he takes up two guys every single time. And now these two guys are going to have to help with Shaq Barrett and JPP on the outsides because the tackles that are playing are kind of fresh blood. It's it, it's going to be tough. And I, I like the, the Chiefs, the way they play offense, they get the ball out pretty quick unless Mahomes is hitting deep, but still the receivers are so fast. They just get downfield so fast. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. If they can make Mahomes, if the secondary can make Mahomes hang on to the ball, then I think that this box D line can kind of eat, but if they're getting the ball out super fast, which the chiefs do, then I don't really see it being an issue. And I feel like the chiefs are well coached enough to be able to deal with that issue. So I'm really interested to see where this is going to go. I feel like, for the Bucks defensive line to do well, it's going to all lie on their secondary. So we'll see how it goes. But I think that the, that's the most interesting matchup between positional battle. Well, I think I'll go with because if you know if anyone remembers from when the Bucks and the, when the Bucks and the Chiefs played in the regular season. Tyreek Hill made that game a track meet pretty quickly. And, and he made Carlton Davis, who didn't have a bad year last year as the Bucks number one quarter. He pretty much in the first half made him look like a scrub. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I mean, they had what, God, two, he had nearly 200 yards at half. I mean, it, you know, it was ridiculous. So I think obviously, yeah, no, I mean, Jacob was, you know, I mean, Jacob, that's a big one with the offensive line, with both of Kansas City's tackles being out, with Via Vea back, and with, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett both coming off of really good games against the Packers um, where they were able to get a number of sacks. But I do think it's going to – I do think that the Bucks, the secondary, they're going to have to play and they're going to have to be able to cover because – the one thing is, is that the Bucks. the one thing they like to do, they like to blitz. I think, I believe the numbers that they blitz on 40% of their defensive snaps. Um, and obviously when you have linebackers like Devin White and Levante David, who can hit the hole quick and were able to get to the quarterback like that, it can work. But I don't think there's any, I think if I remember looking correctly, Patrick Mahomes has the best quarterback rating against the blitz for any, by any QB this season. So you know, it's going to be, you know, something's going to have to give in that aspect. And I think that if the Bucs are going to have a chance defensively, their back end needs to hold up. They need to not let Tyree kill goal. They need to not let Tyree kill just run all over the field. They have to get physical with Travis Kelsey, you know, coming off the, coming off of the line at tight end. Um, and they, you know, they need to keep, they need to, you're not going, you, you, they're going to make plays but you can't have the, you know, the backbreakers. You can't have, you have to get off. You have to get off on third down. You can't have, you can't be in a position where you have a third and long 
and Patrick Mahomes throws a 50-yard bomb to Tyreek Hill for a touchdown. It's like you can't have those backbreakers. They're going to make plays. They're the Chiefs. They're going to score. They're going to make plays, but you have to make them earn it, and you have to and you have to limit the big plays and get off on and get off the field on third down more often than not. That's going to be the biggest key, and I feel like their play in the secondary for the Bucks is going to be the most important matchup with that, especially especially with the way they played in the first meeting. Yeah, um, I, I I definitely agree with you guys that the Bucks defense versus the Chiefs offense, and basically in all regards, is going to be a great matchup. I'm going to turn it around a little bit. I'm actually kind of interested to see the Chiefs secondary versus all the Buccaneers weapons. I mean, the first time they played on the the Buccaneers did not have Antonio Brown yet, and you're talking what the Buccaneers are putting out there: Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Gronk. Um, they can send Ronald Jones out on routes, Fournette out on routes. They have Cameron Brait. They have more weapons than I think any team in this league needs. And I think if you look at the Chiefs back end, they have, you know, Bashad Breland, they have Traverius Ward, um, they have Legarius Sneed, who's had a really terrific postseason. And then at safety, they have Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, and um, Dirty Dan Sorensen, who will, you know, take your head off the second he gets a shot. So I think. I think that's a matchup that will be very interesting considering the, 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 the chiefs linebacking core is not exactly strong in coverage. Um, there, there's definitely holes there, especially for tight ends such as Gronk and Bright to get open. And I think the work, the worst thing you could possibly do in this game, if you're the chiefs on defense is give Tom Brady time to throw. You need to get a passer. You need Chris Jones, Frank Clark, D Ford. You need not, you know, not D Ford's not there anymore, but Chris Jones and Frank Clark, you need them to be getting home on Tom Brady. You, may, you need to make him feel you because if he's just sitting back there in a clean pocket, he's just going to pick you apart with all the weapons that he has. Like you can't cover everybody on the Buccaneers. You, you can't, somebody's going to be open unless you, unless you throw pressure at Brady. And the word is always, you can't blitz Brady, but what you can do, you can blitz the running backs. We saw, we saw against the Packers, Leonard Fournette missed that really critical block because he, for, he didn't know what his assignment was. And that's when Brady threw that, just that straight, basically Hail Mary pass to the sideline that was picked. If you can confuse the running backs with your blitzes and you can mess up other players on the Buccaneers assignments, you don't have to screw up Brady because you're going to get free rushers. Um, Brady's going to know what's coming. It's you have to make sure the other players don't. And I think that'll be important for the Buccaneers defense. But the matchup I want to see is chief secondary against all these Buccaneers weapons. And I want to see how they manage that. I agree with Michael. I am really interested to see how the chief's defense is going to handle this Bucks offense. Bruce Arians is not exactly known for being a super run happy coach, but I am interested to see if he runs it just a tad bit more given that the chiefs have been much, much better against the pass than against the run this season. And they do have, you know, Raul Jones has looked pretty solid to me as a runner this season. Not that I've watched too many bucks games and Obviously, it's a little ridiculous to point out past performance and try to project the future with it. Kind of a fool's errand. But I do want to note that I was going through his stats this season, and I think by far it looked like Gronk's best game was the first Bucks chiefs game from earlier in the season. I don't know if 
you know, I don't know if they'll be scheming more to try to take him away this game or not. But if they do, that'll certainly leave opportunities open for other receivers. I saw a tweet this week that was something like, you know, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are probably the two best receivers in this game on either team. But numbers like three through seven are probably all on the Bucks. It's almost unfair how many different guys there are for Tom Brady to pass to. But as you said, the running backs, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are amazing deep threats and jump ball guys. You got Scotty Miller. Um, Antonio Brown has still got a little bit of gas left in the tank. So I'm very interested to see in how this Bucks pass offense is going to attack a solid Chiefs pass defense that has a pretty good secondary. He said a lot of players there are having great seasons, great postseasons. And I think that it's going to be very key in the game, especially one where the Chiefs are definitely going to make plays on offense to see how the Buccaneers are going to respond to that. Now, lastly, one thing that is, you know, very serious due to COVID-19, but maybe a little less serious given that the players involved have, you know, tested negative and we got some interesting goofs and gaffes about it on social media, but the Chiefs barber getting a rapid COVID test positive back while mid haircut with one of the Chiefs' offensive linemen. <laughs> Everyone involved has been cleared to play. The barber and the player masked up. He did finish the haircut, but I did want to highlight this as kind of, kind of absurd, but also kind of the dangers of having this many people around during what is now the, the COVID window, where I believe if, I believe it's if players are positive that, that they're just straight up not going to be able to play, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, these players tested positive, I believe, on, what was it, Tuesday or something like that? Because the bar was when the barber tested positive. Um, and the players have gone through all the protocol. They've continued to test negative, And yesterday they were cleared to play for the Super Bowl. So the Chiefs, it was actually their starting center, Daniel Kilgore, if I remember, uh, that was in the chair. And the person who had gotten his hair cut right before him by the same barber, was also Demarcus Robinson was also put into isolation. Yes, both of them will be active for the Super Bowl. Um, yeah, I mean it's funny. We saw you know Kilgore changed his profile picture to him with you know half of a he cut his hair off and on half of it and basically said it was mid haircut. And then he came out in in social media and he said in all seriousness you know we we decided I was already exposed so the barber just finished the haircut. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's funny. We can laugh about all we want, but, I mean, it's what we've been dealing with all year. I mean, why weren't we going to deal with it during Super Bowl week? That's just kind of how it was. We were going to have some sort of COVID story. That's, you know, that's the year it's been. And, you know, the, you know, for the two years it's been really kind of. So, I mean, I think I, I think it's just kind of how it is. You know, fortunately for both players, they're going to be able to play in the biggest game of their lives. It would suck to be able to not play because of, you know, it would suck not being able to play when you've tested negative all week and, you know, you just, your barber tested positive, like what can you do about it? Um, so, you know, as funny as it is, just glad everybody's okay. 
Let's let, let let's do this thing. Man was willing to die for a fresh cut. That is something that I will always appreciate. <clears throat> Got to look your best for you know Super Bowl week. You're doing all the media availability, even though no one's on Super Bowl row uh, or media row at the Super Bowl. So you're just doing everything through Zoom. But I love the dedication to possibly dying, exposing your family to COVID for a fresh cut. That is something that is integrity. That is a man that is willing to do anything for a nice head of hair, which he didn't even have. I think he shaved his head. So that's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, it, it's a, it's a scary thing that could happen. Um, thankfully everything's okay so that we can make jokes about it now, but I hope the haircut was worth it. Yeah. And no, I, I don't I don't know if I might say that's integrity, but, um, but no, I mean, it, I mean, listen, they got lucky. And the last thing that the NFL would have wanted was a COVID, especially a COVID outbreak from a barber. I mean, that would have just been, you talk about embarrassing. I mean, that would, have, if, if the Super Bowl would have put, got put in jeopardy because of a barber getting COVID that, I don't know. I don't know if that I, that would have taken a long time for the league to live down. That would have taken a long, long time for the league to live down. So, no, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, it. You, you just hope that you know. You you just hope that no one you know no one gets you know infected or anything like that. And it, you know, everything looks like everything's fine, and then you know the the game's not in jeopardy. The players aren't in jeopardy. So, you know, I'm just you know again, it's like we're so close. We're so close to fit. We're so close to the finish line. So it's just like, you know, let's just, you know, just for one week, let's just, you know, let, let everything, you know, let's like, let everything go right. Let's just get there. Cause the, the fact that there hasn't, there, the fact that there hadn't been any games um, canceled this year in the league, I, I probably, I might, I would have, I, I, I was surprised with that. Like I would have not expected that at the beginning of the season, the fact that no games were canceled, yes, postponed, but not canceled. So you know, it's like for the NFL, I can I, I can imagine that like, you know, Roger Goodell in the league office when they saw the story, bro, was like, please, no, please, no, like, don't let the no, no, no. We're so close. Don't let don't screw this up. We're right there. It's the Super Bowl. Like, why does that happen now? But no, they get, you know, it's fortunately it's not it, it, it's not going to end up being a big thing. So good for the Chiefs, good for the league and just hey, go for the Super Bowl. Just everything can still go off without, you know, hey, knock on wood, everything else still goes off that hitch, you know. Well, I bet you if you would have made that prop bet at the beginning of the season that if a game would have gotten canceled, you probably would have wouldn't have gotten canceled, put it paid out pretty well. Speaking of that, we are transitioning into the prop bets. I picked out a couple fun, unique prop bets. We are going to go through this quick list that I made. We'll go rapid fire, go get everyone's quick little opinions on what they think. And the first couple ones are before the game even starts. We'll start this one with the coin toss, heads or tails, everyone. Michael, Darren, Ian, give me your answers. Which one are you going with this year, heads or tails? Okay, I'm just going to butt in here and say that you have this listed as not necessarily one side, but something is minus 103. How do you have how do you have that on a coin toss? How do you have a plus both? or a minus on a 50-50 probability? 
They're both minus 103, so they have the same odds, but you would have to bet $103 to win $100. Oh, God. So it's risky. I, I, I guess that's a good, you know, I guess that's a smart move. Yes, they have the same odds. Tails never fails. I'm going with tails. Uh, I'm no, going to say heads no. just for that one. Just um, for that. Heads always best. What did Jerome Bettis end up calling in that coin toss? What, did he I, say, I think what? he called tails. All right, I'll go with, I'll go with tails. I'll go with tails. I think I'll go with heads, too. It's something like the we last – We want the ball and we're going to score. <laughs> the last two Super Bowls have been um, tails. So it can't be 50-50 again, right? It has to be heads. It's impossible. Three in a row. The next is the national There's some anthem. magic voodoo on the coin. Yes, the next is the it's mag- a weighted coin. <laughs> I love the national anthem. Counting the seconds on your phone while they sing, and you never know how long they're going to hit that brave for. Sometimes it feels like an eternity. Over under on the national anthem, a minute and fifty nine seconds. Over <laughs> minus one hundred. Under minus one forty. You know who's singing it? Yeah, who, I was going to say who's singing it. It's, it's Jasmine Sullivan, and I think also Eric Church. Eric Church it's, a, it's a duet. Uh, I'm it's definitely taking the over. Yeah, yeah, I'm taking the over on that. I'm good. Yeah, because they're, wow. they're you know, it's it's the national anthem for the Super Bowl, and with two of them, they're they're going to want to get in there. Uh, they're they're, they're going to want both get in their time for that. So yeah, I I think I'll take the over on that too. I will also be taking the over on that one, especially in duet form. Think of how much pausing there's going to be in between lines while they have to get the arrangements figured out in their head. That's actually pretty smart. It's going to be insane. There's over. Why is the under like, why is the over more profitable? That does not make any Um, sense. Because because it's very unlikely. There's only been a couple of, they usually set it at around 150 high 50s. It's been under the last couple of years. It hasn't gotten over two minutes in a long time. So it's time for that over. It's it's time. Five. I can feel it in my bones. I also feel it in my bones because your guys' reasoning is spot on. So I'm actually going to bet the over because I think your guys' reasoning is genius having it be a duet. Just hoping for a really long brave from Eric Church. Another fun one, will the last play, will the last play of the game be a QB kneel down? Yes is minus 180, no plus 140. You know, I'm actually going to go with no, because how I think the game's going to play out, I think there's going to be a final drive, but I think they're going to score before time's up. So I think the other team is going to have, the losing team I think has the ball last is what I'm saying. So no, I mm, I'm tempted to agree with Michael on that. I feel I I don't know. It's like because it's even even if there's so little time left. I mean, because it's especially concerning. Like if, if one of the team, you know, if, if one of the team, if the losing team does get the ball last, they're trying to get the ball out quick, and yeah, eh, mm, that's tough. I'm going to say yes. I don't think there's going to be very much time left on the clock. I think it, I think it'll be close, but I, I think, I, I don't know. I just, I'll go with my gut. I'll say that there'll be, a, they'll, they'll have, there'll be time. Like it'll be the end of a fourth down and maybe there'll be like a few seconds, but enough to, but just enough for there to be one last play. So I'll go, I'll go. Yes. on that. 
I am also going to go with yes. Um, I agree with Darren's reasoning on this. I think that there's a decent chance that, you know, the losing team will get the ball back. It'll be late. There's not going to be too much time left. But I think there's a decent chance that one of these teams does, like, make some kind of defensive stand. Someone, like, chucks it up on, like, fourth and ten with, like, 30 seconds to go, and then the other team gets it back. And it's like, well, all we got to do is just kneel this one out, finish the game. I just feel like that's where it's going. Nothing else to really explain it but that, but that's how I'm feeling. I'm also going to say yes. I, I Like everyone has been saying, sometimes there's like a Hail Mary with like seven seconds left and they have like the one roaming second and then they have to trot out there and take a knee. So I'm just going to go yes. I know the odds aren't great, but I'll go yes. Next time, next one, which quarterback will throw the first touchdown pass? Tom Brady is minus 105 and Patrick Mahomes is minus 120. Which QB will throw the first touchdown? Interesting stat here for this one. Tom Brady has never scored a touchdown in the first quarter of a Super Bowl. Ever. Really? First nine times he's never led his team to a touchdown in the first quarter. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. I thought that was odd too, but it's actually true. I think you can look it up. Um, so odds are with Patrick Mahomes here. Um but you know what? I think there's a little bit of mojo in the fact that the Chiefs almost want to play from behind. It's it's where they're more comfortable. They don't like being ahead. I'm going to take Brady to throw the first touchdown pass in this game. I think if the Chiefs score first, it won't be Mahomes touching uh, passing touchdown. It'll be like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire or something. So I will take Brady to throw the first touchdown pass. It's tough for me because I actually, if I could make a prediction, I would say that whoever does get the, I was going to say that whoever gets the ball first in this game is going to score on the first drive, just because I, just because I, you know, neither defense is particularly, you know, you know, with, between the chiefs and the bucks, the bucks are a little bit better, but neither defense is like, you know, you don't think they're going to pitch a shot by any means or anything like that. So I think I would take whoever gets the ball first to score. Um, I was going to say, Michael, I know you, you went with Brave, although that, that stat gives me a little bit of pause that you just gave. So I, I was, I'm wondering about it. I, his own stat. Uh, this is tough. This is a tough one. Um, I'm going to go with Mahomes. I'll go with Mahomes. I just think it, it's, it's, I could see either one of them doing it. But then, you know, then again, I mean, for the Bucs, I mean, listen, you've got Leonard Fournette, you've got Ronald Jones. I mean, they have a couple of guys that they get down to the goal line that they're liable to run into. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of like, who, who do you, it's just who do you think could do it? And, you know, I mean, listen, any, we don't, any, you know, Patrick Mahomes can pop off a 70 yarder any, you know, it's any, on any play. So I'll take the, the threat of that just a little bit over over Brady. Not that I don't think he could – obviously, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up scoring first, but I'll just – I'll take – I'll take I, – I, I'll take Patrick by a little bit. A little. I'm also going to take Patrick Mahomes. I feel like the Chiefs offense has to come out there and prove something. I think it's weird that they keep on playing from behind. That's the only thing that – that makes so much sense. Michael said that – I'm not talking myself out of it. I'm just giving the reasoning why it might not happen. Um, but I'm going to go with Patrick. Yeah, sure. Patrick Mahomes. Same. I'm also going to go with Mahomes. 
Michael, that is a very interesting stat there that Brady has not led a touchdown drive in the first quarter. Um, I also just think that I think that you know both these teams are very pass happy, but I think that the Bucks are maybe just a little bit more likely to have some sort of rushing score before they have a passing score, like when they do throw it. Although I also think there's a good chance that, as Darren said, whoever gets the ball first is just going to score, and they're probably going to score a passing touchdown. So it's not a super confident bet, but I would just put it down on Mahomes. This is a fun one. Every single player usually has a line for how many passing yards, receiving yards, rushing yards they have. Tom Brady's came out. Tom Brady's rushing yards, like you said, one of the most athletic, greatest quarterbacks, runs it all the time. His rushing yards, over under, half a yard. Will Tom Brady have more than one rushing yard? Will have one rushing yard by the end of this Super Bowl? You have to account. Sacks do not count for rushing yards, but if you take a knee, that is minus two rushing yards. So if you believe the Bucs are out there at the end of the game taking the knee, that's minus two rushing yards almost every single time. Thoughts on Tom Brady more than to have one rushing yard at the end of this game. This is like the toughest one because like he's the king of the QB sneak. We all know that, but he's really only doing it from like the one or the half yard line. And he's probably only going to do it once. So like you're basically banking on the fact that he's going to get one QB sneak from the one score, a one yard rushing touchdown and then not take a knee. I'm, oh man. I'm going to say, I'm going to say he doesn't actually, uh, <laughs> it's actually hard. Like this is actually a tough one. Um, no, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to say he doesn't finish with one rushing yard under one rushing yard. I don't greatest athletic I, I don't, back of all time. I don't think he does a QB sneak, even though he's the QB sneak God, I don't think he's going to do one in this game. So I don't think he's going to have any rushing attempts in this game. I think he's just going to sit on zero. I'm also going to take that under the stats are certainly with people who take the under. I did just look at his 2020 rushing stats. And I think only four or five times did he actually get one rushing yard. Obviously some of that is due to kneeling, which may or may not happen in this game, but I, I would not be betting on it. I would not say one rushing yard, you know, gun to my head. I'd say, no, he's going to get zero. He's going to get minus one, minus two, something like that. Just going to be some, like some way, even if he gets to one, the universe is going to conspire to reset him to zero or lower, I think. Well, they won't Joe let Kavino that happen. When he does a 80 yard bootleg the very first play and he's running down the sideline. Oh, I can't wait till he just pulls out that amazing run fake bootleg like he's Steve Bono. When he pulls out a nice read option and then jukes a defender and then. Yeah, Tom Brady first play read option. Hey, hey, now, Tom Brady <laughs> threw down that ankle breaker on Brian Erlacher back in the day. Never forget. I'm going to take the over on this one. I think there's a good chance that the Bucks. I don't want to reveal our picks because we're going to do that next, but 
I think the Bucks will be down at the end of this game, so they're not really going to be taking the, a knee. So I think that if Tom can somehow get one yard in the first three and a half quarters, then that bet is sitting pretty. So I'm going to take the over on that. I think I'm going to take I, – I, I, you know what? I'm gonna, I would actually predict this. I would say that there is a better chance of Brady trying to make up for his, for his uh, drop pass – in the Super Bowl against the Eagles, it's saying that he will catch a pass with a more more of a chance than he actually has one yard rushing. I I would I would actually I'd be willing to bet that I'd be willing to bet that because no he just, the guy doesn't run anymore and I just think that I, if I have to if I have to I would not bet on that just in general but if I have to uh, yeah I'll go with the I'll go with the under like I just I just don't oh, have man. I just don't have Tom Brady wheeling to. Well, I guess I will be going was against not all expecting Darren going nuclear <laughs> with the, the pass catching take. I didn't even that think about weird. that dimension. Okay. The last, one, the last one. I was surprised that the odds were so close to each other. Will there be a two point conversion? So this does not count if they do not get it. They have to get a two point conversion. They have to have a successful two point conversion. The odds are minus 140. No is plus 110. Will there be a successful two-point conversion? I feel like the odds for this can go up a lot if there's if one of the teams obviously has like a missed field goal at some point in this game because that's going to – You have to bet all prop bets before the game begins. Yeah. yeah. You have to them throughout. Yeah, well, yeah. I Well, I was going to say I, yeah, just within the game, just like, the you know, just within the game of like, you know, the chances of it happening. Um, I'll – you know what? I'll say yeah because, I mean, listen, these are two offenses that have very creative play callers. I mean, you have – obviously you have Andy Reid and you have – um. And, you know, you have Andy Reid on one side, you have Bruce Arians on the other side. I mean, these are two guys who have, who know how to coach offense, you know, just, you know, to make an obvious statement. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, especially the chiefs, I mean, could Andy Reid with two weeks to prepare, could he come up with a, you know, some kind of weird trick gadget play that no one will see coming for some kind of two point conversion or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could see that happening and then I could see, you know, Bruce Arians coming up, Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich coming up with, you know, a, you know, a similar thing. Cause again, they're both very good offensive coaches. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. And, um, and I think, you know, if, if a field goal, if a field goal is missed during the game, I think that there's going to be, that would probably make it more of a certainty that we see that at some point. So, although, yeah, I mean, considering how good these two offenses both can be. Yeah. I'll take, I'll take, I'll take the, I'll take it. I'll take it on that. If there's a two point conversion. To chime in real quick, Darren, I found the odds for Tom Brady to catch a pass during the Super Bowl. It is plus 1,000 if you want that Tom Brady to catch one pass in the Super Bowl. Put all your money on that one. I mean, hey, it's, it's a little it's, special. Exactly. Hey, I mean, I, hey, man, you never know. I mean, he, he may want to make up. He may go to. He may go to Bruce in the office and say, like, you know, I, I really want to make up for that pass I dropped against the Eagles. If there's just one play, maybe, maybe that. What? What if that's the two point? What if that's the two point? They go for two, and he and he goes out. And he catches the pass, and it's for a two point conversion. That would be a rich man. Yeah, that would be. Yeah, dear God, you'd be okay. Parlay, parlay them um, together. 
And I, I want to clarify for this two-point conversion thing, Jacob. This is for a successful two-point conversion, not for just an attempt. Not an attempt. It has to be successful. Successful two-point. I'm, you know, I'm going to go with no, actually. I'm going to be bold and go with no on this one. I feel like I've been taking the safe one the whole time, with the exception of maybe maybe heads. Maybe heads was a risky pick for the coin toss, but... Very risky. I am going to, I'm going to operate on the assumption, you know, these teams both have really strong kickers, I think. And at least from like normal ranges, I, I can't speak on Ryan Suckup's ability from like 58 or something, but I don't think he's going to have to do that. I don't think they're going to call on him to do something like that. You know, I would not be surprised if we saw a two-point conversion attempt, but I don't think we'll see multiple. I think we'll see – I think we would see just one out of one of these teams if they get in some kind of, like, weird, funky deficit. If it ends up being strategically advantageous to them, then they'll go do one. But I think that these offenses are not going to have too much of a problem scoring on each other. And I don't think it's going to be the situation that someone has to make some kind of insane, like, Oh, I don't know, 25 point comeback or something. Um, Even then the chiefs never went for two. Hey, <laughs> you know, the, these teams are perfectly capable of scoring large bunches of points without needing the two-point conversion to help them out. So I'm going to say, you know, maybe somebody tries one, but it's just not going to work for whatever reason. And I'm going to say no. I'm going to say – Oh, go ahead, Michael, and then I'll share my stat. Uh, I'm going to go with yes. Um, I'm going to go with yes because I think with with the rise of analytics, there are so many more opportunities and more reasons to go for two now more than ever. Um, 11 point deficit, you score a touchdown, you're going to go for two to cut it to a field goal. You're going to, you're going to cut it to get to score to where you want to get a more advantageous score line. So I think no matter what it is, whether it's to tie or whether it's not to tie, I think we're going to see one. And I think I'll say a team gets it. Let's just say it. Let's just do it. Mm. There have only been 10 successful two point conversions in Super Bowl history. The Patriots, with Tom Brady, have three of those ten. I'm going to go with no just because there's only ever been ten. But if there is a man to get a two-point conversion, it is Tom Brady. What about the Tom Brady two-yard QB sneak? Actually, but wait, two-point conversions don't count to game stats. So actually, that would not count. Tom Brady throws it to himself into the end zone for the two-point conversion. Because I know, like, if but af- you, after he rushed for a one-yard touchdown, if they complete the um, if they complete a pass in the two point, it doesn't count towards game stats. The two points on its own, so it wouldn't count. He runs for would it. not count. All right. Well, that was our prop bets. We will watch them closely to see which ones hit and which ones don't hit, and we'll let you know next week. Uh, moving on to the Super Bowl, the big game: the Chiefs and the Buccaneers, six thirty. Buccaneers have a home Super Bowl from Tampa. The Buccaneers are minus three. The over-under is 55 and a half total points. Chiefs are the favorite. 
They're minus three. We'll head to Michael. Michael, what is your final pick of the year? Super Bowl picks. Okay. Okay. See, I almost kind of wanted to go last, but I understand I, I'm dead last, so I should. That's fair. You are but, dead last in the rankings. Ian and I tied at 27. My pick is probably going to be unique. I've been back and forth on this game all week, and I remember a couple weeks ago after Champ Week, I was I was texting with some people, and I was saying how I thought the Chiefs were going to run away with this game. And then I stopped myself because I thought there's been one man that has ever defeated Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs, Tom Brady. There has also been – the, the Tom Brady has also had this annoying habit of beating really good offenses, but the chiefs are unlike anything we've ever seen. And like I said, I've been back and forth. I think I've changed my pick four times this week on who I think is going to win this game. feels like you've um, changed your picks four times this sentence. I have, <laughs> but what I'm, I'm stalling for time. Oh uh, no, no, I'm kidding. I know. Um, but I, I, I've had a gut feeling about this game from now about a week. Um, I think I know deep down who I think is going to win, no matter how much I don't want them to win. Uh, I'm actually going to go with Tampa Bay. I'm going, I'm going the Buccaneers 31, the Chiefs 28. So before, before we got on, Jacob said, if I pick the number and the team right on, I win the picks. So I'm going Buccaneers over the Chiefs. I'm going to say 59 total points. Um, Oh, no. it has to be the exact score you give. So if it ends oh. up being flip-flopped, I'm not giving you that. Fair. That's fine. Fair. Well, well if it's flip-flopped, I don't get the Buccaneers. So that's fine. That's a good um, point. I did. Forget <laughs> so I'm going to, you know what, if, if I have to take a chance and do this, I might as well take the underdog. Um, a couple of years ago when the, when the Patriots played the Rams, everyone was high on the Rams and this, this, this great offense that we thought was going to, you know, be able to beat Tom Brady and Tom Brady won the game. I actually picked the Patriots in that game. Everyone called me crazy. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't really know why. I have this feeling in my gut that the Buccaneers are going to win. As much as I would hate to see Tom Brady win another Super Bowl, I feel like sometimes the, the team doesn't pick. It, it doesn't necessarily – the team doesn't necessarily pick who wins. Sometimes, you know, the universe just picks who wins every season. The season sometimes picks the team, not the team picking the season. And – I mean, what a story it would be. Um, so I'm going to go with the Buccaneers. I, I don't, I don't like it. I, it's this pick is so hard for me. Um, and it's really hard to go back to back. It's one of the hardest things to do. So I'm going to take Tampa Bay by three. Darren, I'll give the same offer to you, your Super Bowl pick and exact score. If you pick it, you will be the champion of the Pick'em league. All right. Well, I do have, I do have an exact score. Actually, I actually, I have been thinking about it and I came to I came to agreement with myself last night. I think that this is going to be a game where I, I the way they both played, I think this is going to be this could end up being one of the best quarterback duels maybe we'll see. I mean, you're literally you have the greatest QB of the modern era versus the era parent in with Brady versus Mahomes. I think that the Bucks make a late fourth quarter drive to take the lead. 27 to 20 what was it 20 uh yeah 27 to 24 I think that you know and, and it sets up and you know it's, it's like a classic Brady moment leading his team back but I believe that this is the game where whether Brady ends up wanting to pass the torch or not Patrick Mahomes is going to take the torch for himself the Chiefs will have a late fourth will have an even later fourth quarter drive they will come back 
and they will take the lead. They will be down by, I think, what was it? 20, they will be what, 27, 23. And I believe that they will come back and win on a late game drive by a final score of 30 to 27. They win the, they win back-to-back championships for the first time since I think Brady and the, and the Patriots did in 03 and 04. And, you know, even though Brady is not going to retire after this game, you know, based on performance, I think everyone can agree the torched will be passed and it will be, you know, it will be officially, this is Patrick Mahomes' league now. Like it is, it will be his league, two-time Super Bowl winner, potentially. I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll even go further. I'll say he gets a Super Bowl MVP too, back-to-back Super Bowl MVPs. I'll even go that far. So yeah, Bucks, uh, Bucks. Chiefs win 30-27, Super Bowl MVP Patrick Mahomes. All right, Ian. Seems we meet again. Final countdown. I'm it's all gonna on go, me, isn't it? I'll, I'll go first, or do you want to go first? Well, you went first last time, or no? I went first last time, so I'll go first Excuse this time. Me. Yeah. Okay, that's only fair. Uh, I'll take the Chiefs. I'm gonna take the Chiefs. The points are interesting, so you could really the prices right me with these points. So I hope you don't. But I am going to go. Chiefs, 33, Tampa, 24. 33-24, lock it in. That's my pick. 33-24. Your turn, sir. Well, I am going to be a little boring here i suppose and i'm also taking the chiefs if we go down we're going down together as far as i'm concerned come on now you don't want well i guess when when we said it on our last show and we said oh the the packers are a lock all four of us took the packers and then we said i I don't think it's necessarily a lock but i do i do kind of think I don't know. You know, this is just also kind of a gut feeling. It's not something where like I've looked into like a million, you know, advanced stats or anything, but I just get the feeling that with how much firepower there is between these two teams that I think there's a good chance that this ends up like that, that weird Eagles Patriots Super Bowl from a few years ago, where just the offenses were absolutely clicking. Nobody could stop anything that anybody was doing. You know, and just pass, 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 score, 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 try to win. So give me, so give me the Chiefs, but I think it's going to be like a barn burner. Get And give me like, um, give me 42 to 39. Ooh, that is points, 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 points. So if my math is correct, that is 81 total points. I took it at 57. That's a 24-point difference down to 12. So I have up to 69. Anything up to 69 is mine. Anything above 69 is yours. Unless it exactly hits 69, then it's right in the middle, which would be our luck. And nice. we'll then, all right. 
Yeah, you guys can. What do you say, Michael? Something else for you guys to do. But yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I don't really know where I'm going with this. Um, but you know what? <laughs> if I'm gonna go down, I'm gonna go down picking Tom Brady. And you know what? Let's just leave it at that. I, you know what? I'm done. I'm done not picking him in the Super Bowl and getting completely burned. So you know, let's just. Well, my fault was my problem was picking against. I could have locked this thing up two weeks ago if I would have just listened and just gone with Patrick Mahomes instead of my love affair with boy wonder Josh Allen, who took like five 20 yard sacks. So I'm not going against Mahomes again. I fell in love with, I liked Josh Allen, but I'm falling in love with Patrick Mahomes. So. That's our final. We all technically picked the over. So if you want a guarantee from the Pylon podcast, we are telling you to take the over. That means the under will hit. Actually. Yeah. Uh, whatever. <laughs> under, under going absolutely stupid. Yeah, like three to zero. Put your life savings on the under. If you're one of those people who got any sort of cash out from GameStop stock, you're, it's going to happen again if you put it all on the under. Yes, take the under because we all said take the over. Well, that is the last pick of the year. It's been fun, guys. We will see you next week when we do our recap who the pick champion is. Ian, back over to you for the close. Indeed, there will be a lot of excitement about the pick champion. We'll see which one of us, me or Jacob, has looked like an absolute fool from the Super Bowl. Obviously, we don't know that now. Also, on the next episode, we are planning on a season review. Obviously, the whole season will be over. And an inaugural awards show here, which we are tentatively calling the Pileys. It's going to be a fun one. Great name. I love it. Thank you. And yes, Thank we you. already we, know that the awards will have been given out. We don't care. We're going to do it ourselves anyway. Yeah, we, we give our own awards. You know, maybe we have some disagreements. More prestigious awards. Okay. You know, who wouldn't want to be honored with their very own Piley? But with that, we have got to wrap it up this week. I have not even had breakfast yet, so... It's definitely time for me to get on that. Always a pleasure to talk football with you all. And we will see you after the Super Bowl. So from East Lansing, Ian Drummond, Michael Marcock, Jacob Lothmer, Darren Baydoon. Bye, guys.